Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining me on today's Go and Teach radio program. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monta Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. If there's anything that we talk about in our program today that you'd like to learn more about, or if you're curious about the Bible, about our church, about God, or spiritual things in general, then we'd love to sit down and have a Bible study with you. My friends, that is our simple promise, that we'll open up our Bibles together. You're not going to get man's wisdom or man's doctrine. We want to show you what God has to say about things. Now think about when you were a kid, maybe kindergarten or first grade, and you were asked to do show and tell. That was a pretty simple activity, wasn't it? You either bring something to show, maybe you would show off an object of yours, a favorite stuffed animal, or you show a skill that you have, or you tell something. You inform the class about something. You bring a piece of news, maybe tell a story from a recent family vacation. Now, maybe you're on the playground later on that day, and you and your friends are playing truth or dare. Again, pretty simple game, isn't it? You either say the truth about something, or you're dared to do something. You're dared to act in some way. Okay, let's fast forward a few years. Now you're a teenager, and you're at your first job. You you got your job flipping burgers, making minimum wage, and good for you. But how are you going to learn how to do all those things? How are you going to learn how to operate this piece of machinery or how to properly prepare this item of food? Well, it's pretty simple. You either learn it by observing the way other employees are doing it, or you learn it by reading a policies and procedures manual. Again, you're reading something, hearing something, listening to something, a command of some kind, or you are observing an action of some kind. You're listening or you're doing Now, you go on to college a few years after that, and even in a college lecture or a college class, we're asked to read things. We're asked to do things, maybe to implement a new skill that we've been practicing. And then we're asked to make applications or to draw conclusions about the things that we're reading and the things that we're asked to do. My friends, in all of human communication, we say or hear things, We show and observe the things that are shown, and then we draw logical, consistent conclusions or make necessary inferences from what is said or done. This is just basic human communication. There is no other way that humans communicate. The only way that we communicate is by telling something, by showing something, and then by drawing conclusions or inferences from the things that are said and the things that are shown to us. So what does any of this have to do with the Bible? Well, we're all trying to understand the Bible the best way that we can. 
Now, the term for this process is hermeneutics, and that, that's just a fancy way of saying a method or approach of interpreting something. But when it comes to Scripture, we're not allowed to simply interpret the sacred pages of the Bible in any way that we want. It is not just open to anybody's interpretation or whatever interpretation is just convenient to you, or however it is that our culture views Scripture through its own preconceptions or its own rose-colored glasses. As it says in Holy Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Bible is meant to convey a unified message from the mouth of God to all people everywhere. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Now, if you're not familiar with your Bible, it's in the New Testament, fairly deep into the New Testament, the book of Colossians. And look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 25. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, and he's speaking of the word of God now, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. It's been revealed, it's been given fully to God's people. To whom God willed, in verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of Glory. Now end here on verse 28. And we proclaim him, that is Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Every person, everybody, whether it's in Colossae in the first century or Phoenix in the 21st century, everybody is made complete in Christ in the same way. Everybody hears the same message. Everybody must respond to the same message. And everybody is made complete in Christ in the same way. That's for all people for all time. So how we handle the Bible is important to God. We read in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, just a few pages past the book of Colossians. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. And I like that, that there is an accurate way to handle the word of truth. And the Bible's not just for anybody's interpretation. It is the word of truth. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. And why? Well, he goes on to say, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So with all that being said, it seems clear that the best way to interpret the Bible is to simply let it speak for itself, to obey commands and consistently apply what we see in the Bible by logical inference. After all, what is more honest and what is more simple than saying, I'm just going to look for specific statements given by God, I'm going to look for divinely approved precedent that is set by the Bible. And then I'm going to draw necessary conclusions in trying to find out God's will. What is more honest than that approach to the Bible? It's a method of looking at the Bible, a method of thinking about the Bible that's free from denominational dogmas and human traditions because it looks to the ultimate source of truth, which is God. So with the rest of our program, I want to look at three things. 
three things that we can find in the Bible that help us understand what God wants us to do, how he wants us to live, how he wants us to worship him, how he wants us to organize ourselves as congregations of Christians in local communities. And the three things are this, to see direct commands written in the Bible. After all, that's the simplest way of determining authority for anything, if God has commanded it in a plain and simple statement. Number two, considering examples of what to do in the Bible, and more specifically, examples from the New Testament. The lives of the apostles and other first century Christians are a treasure trove, and by emulating their actions, how they did something, why they did something, and the specifics of it, then we can model our lives after them as well. And third, how do we draw necessary conclusions or inferences about those things? And this is done by using simple logic and drawing conclusions from the things that we find in the scriptures. When we look at a direct command, when we look at what God has said, when we look at an example of something in the Bible, that is, how did God ask us to do it, or how did Christians do it in the first century, what are the conclusions that we draw about those things? It's a very simple process of understanding God's will for us today. Let's begin with commandments. These are direct commands from either God or a divinely appointed messenger, such as a prophet or the apostles in the New Testament. Though this is certainly not the only way that God relays information to his people, it is the most straightforward way of doing it. Obviously, if God has written instruction on a matter in the form of a commandment, then there's no amount of human wisdom that can just make that go away. There are, however, some very important considerations when it comes to commandments that we read in the Bible. You have to ask the question, first of all, to whom was the command given? Was that command given to us? Was that command given to somebody in the Old Testament under a completely different system, under a completely different law? And this is a good question to ask because taking a section of Scripture, like almost anything from the Old Testament really, out of its context can lead to a very dangerous application. For example, the Old Testament is filled with commandments, orders, rules, regulations that do not apply to the Christian anymore. So great care needs to be taken when lifting verses out of their context and applying them where they don't belong. According to a New Testament passage, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant of the Israelites is obsolete. It was made completely obsolete by the establishment of a better covenant or a better law with Christ. Christians do not live under the Old Testament. We live under the New Testament. We do not practice, at least as a command from God, the things that we see in the Old Testament. Those laws that were given at Mount Sinai, laws that we read about in the book of Exodus, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, from those Old Testament books, we do not derive our system of commandments. We do not live under that covenant anymore. It is obsolete, according to Hebrews 8, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, just a chapter after that, it says that Christ is the mediator. He has brought us a new covenant, a new law. In the Gospel of Luke, notice Luke 16, verse 16. It says, For the law and the prophets were proclaimed, that is, they were in effect until John the Baptist. Since then, since the time of John the Baptist, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached. 
So in a sense, everything that we read before John the Baptist is seen as old covenant, old law. And things that are proclaimed, things that are taught by Jesus himself, by Jesus' apostles, and things that they wrote in the epistles in the New Testament, everything after John the Baptist is meant for new covenant people, Christians. I hope you don't see it as some kind of oversimplification, but I think Luke 16, verse 16 does make it pretty clear that everything post-John the Baptist is the gospel. It's information, it's commandments, it's examples that are meant and intended for a Christian audience. So we need to be very wary of using Old Testament verses to bind where the Lord no longer binds things. Sabbath-keeping, for example, as a religious observance, we're not commanded to keep the Sabbath anymore. How about binding apparel standards of the Levitical priest class on people today? Or upholding the Ten Commandments as if the Ten Commandments themselves are superior in some way to any other thing that we read in the New Testament. We're not under the Ten Commandments. How about loose standards on divorce because of passages like Deuteronomy chapter 24? In all of these things, we need to be very careful and very wary of using Old Testament verses out of their context. The second thing here, we need to distinguish between commands and examples. The reason we need to mention this is because some texts have been looked upon as examples when in fact they're commandments. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1, for example, Christians in Corinth were commanded to lay by and store some of their produce from that week. From whatever they've prospered, they were commanded to take up a collection on the first day of the week. Now, some people, I think, incorrectly pointed this as an example. In fact, it's a commandment. And the same is true of a passage like 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, which is not an example of local oversight, but a specific command to elders that limits the oversight of elders to a local congregation or a flock that is among them. And the last point on commandments is this. What aspect of a command is generic or open-ended? And what aspect of a command is specific or closed-ended? Now, this is really important for us to understand because generic or open-ended aspects of a command cover kind of what we're allowed to do. Uh, the freedom that we have to to apply a commandment to today in some way that's 21st century and not just 1st century. For example, we're commanded to partake of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 pretty clearly says, do this. We're supposed to do this. It is a commandment. And there are specific aspects of this commandment that we need to keep, such as the order of the observance, partaking of the bread first and the fruit of the vine second. Or the meaning behind the symbolism. We're not allowed to reinterpret the meaning of the symbolism. We're not allowed to say that the bread represents something that it doesn't represent in the Bible. And that the fruit of the vine represents something that it doesn't represent. Those are very specific things. But there are also very generic aspects of it. More open-ended things. Such as the recipe for the bread. How about the number of the containers for the fruit of the vine? How about the time of day that we partake? As long as it's on the first day of the week, on a Sunday, it doesn't matter if it's 7 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the evening. So there are a lot of open-ended aspects of that commandment. And maybe some other things that we don't have time to study today, but just something to ponder. Maybe how we appoint elders in a local congregation. Now, there are some things that are really specific about that, like 
some of the qualifications that we read about in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or in Titus chapter 1. But there's also some very generic things about that. The process of appointing that. We're never given a specific process of how to go about appointing these elders. How about Bible classes? In Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission, we are commanded to go and teach the gospel. But how we go about teaching that is never specified. We're never limited in any way by how we go, whether we go on foot or we go in a car or the materials that we can use or the tools that we use, teaching by using the internet, teaching by using a PowerPoint projector, teaching by using written materials. All these things are very generic. They're very open-ended. Now let's move on. The second thing that we were going to talk about today is examples. Sometimes God commands us to do something. He tells us to do something. Other times we're shown how to do something. Now, in a book called The Cultural Church, F. Lagard Smith had this to say, and I really like the way that he points this out. When push comes to shove, there are only a limited number of ways to interpret anything. In fact, whenever we want to understand someone, we generally look to two things. What a person says and what a person does. What could correspond more to our everyday, automatic, built-in hermeneutic than commands or sayings and examples or doings? Now, examples are powerful because we learn so much from examples. For example, do you see what I did there? When I'm raising my children, there are a lot of things that I command them to do. I tell them to do. But in their younger years, before they really know how to speak or or understand what I'm saying, they don't learn by command. No, they learn by example. My children didn't learn how to walk because I gave them a step-by-step instruction manual. They didn't learn how to walk because I sat them down and gave them a lecture on how to walk. No, they learned how to walk by observing my example. They saw me walking. In fact, you could even say they learned how to talk by doing that as well. They learned how to talk. They learned how to read. They learned how to understand other people talking in large part by simply following my example. It's just looking to precedent. We look to precedent. And that's something that comes very, very naturally to humans. As for the Bible... We need to remember a really great concept in Romans 15, verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4 says, These things were written for our instruction. Now, what he's talking about there, and we don't have time to look at the broader context, but what he's talking about there is examples that we have from the Old Testament. That when we look at the stories of people in the Old Testament, the mistakes that they made, the good things they did, as well as the bad things that they did, these things were written for our instruction. What he's saying is, we can read about examples, stories of what people did, and those stories pack authority. Those stories pack authority. They teach us something. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 now, again in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this context is talking about the Israelites wandering through the wilderness in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers. And when they wandered through the wilderness, they made a lot of mistakes. And there's a lot we can learn from that. He has this to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Now, these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. 
Go down to verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Examples pack authority. Examples are meant to instruct. Examples are meant to teach. Examples are meant to lead. But let's keep a couple things in mind. An example is only authoritative if we have examined it carefully to see how it applies properly. There are cultural things, and we need to look at things in their cultural context, like the holy kiss of Romans 16, verse 16. We need to look at examples within their biblical narrative, like foot washing in John chapter 13. Context in John 13 will tell you that this is not the institution of some kind of church law or a church ordinance to be obeyed in a specific form, but the foot washing of Jesus is teaching us about an attitude that we're supposed to have, an attitude that carries over into all aspects of Christian discipleship. We need to remember Sometimes examples are fenced off, so to speak, by other verses. For example, the first century church had apostles. We can read about the apostles in the book of Acts. But does that example bind us to have the same office today? In fact, no, because there are other verses in the Bible that quote-unquote fence off apostles as an exclusively first century office that doesn't carry over beyond the first century. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, or 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10. And we have to look for a consistent pattern as well. Sometimes an example is just that. It's just something. It's an isolated action. It's an isolated event in the Bible. And it's not meant to be carried over. So all those things are important considerations. But the last thing is this. The third thing we need to talk about is inferences, or drawing conclusions. Some have tried to argue that inferences can't possibly have any authority or be binding because it's just human logic trying to interpret divine thought. But my counter is this. Without inferences of any kind, the Bible itself, or all thought patterns for that matter, are meaningless. Even the most basic and elementary principles require some kind of inference on our parts. No command in the Bible has your name specifically on it, after all. So it takes inference to even consider oneself accountable to Christ. The Bible can't be interpreted unless inferences are made about it. Even Jesus himself made necessary inferences about scriptures in Luke chapter 20, verses 37 and 38, or in Matthew chapter 22, verses 43 and 45. We infer that all morals and ethics of the Bible apply to all people because they'll be in effect until the judgment day. Revelation 21 verse 8. The Apostle Peter necessarily inferred that Gentiles were not unholy or unclean, even though God never explicitly told him so in Acts chapter 10 verse 28. Many moral issues are never addressed in the Bible, such as pornography, drugs, or gambling. But that doesn't make those things acceptable to God. Just because he never said anything specific about them, are there inferences that we can draw about other moral issues or scriptures about other moral things that have application to pornography, drugs, or gambling? Even something as simple as Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. Even that requires some necessary inference. After all, it doesn't say if Ryan believes and is baptized, he shall be saved. 
It's a rather open-ended statement, isn't it? I have to infer that that verse applies to me at all. I have to infer that that verse has any authoritative punch to it in order for me to live by it. All the Bible requires some degree of inference, conclusions that we draw. So we read what God tells us to do. We observe the way Christians in the past, in the book of Acts and in the epistles, did things. And then we draw necessary conclusions about those things. And what could be a simpler, more honest, more humble way of approaching the Bible than that? If you'd like to study this or any other topic from the Bible, then please reach out to Monta Vista. Let's sit down and have a Bible study together. Let's look straight from the Word of God at what God has to say about the questions and the troubling issues that face us today. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montavistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Monta Vista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street. We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 9.30 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Monta Vista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montavistacoc.com. Hallelujah.